brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. The mysterious realm of the unknown, where many things are not as they appear to be. Tonight, the KGRA Digital Broadcast Network takes you to the often overlapping worlds of science and unexplained phenomena, which bring us to the very edge, edge, edge of reality. And now, Here's the man who brought UFOs to the United Nations, your host and guide into Edge of Reality Radio, Lee Spiegel. Welcome, everyone. You have successfully crossed over the line and into Edge of Reality Radio on the KGRA Digital Broadcast Network. I'm Lee Spiegel, and I'm still host of these proceedings from an undisclosed location somewhere in North America. And tonight we have two really fascinating guests. In our second hour, I'll be joined by one of my favorite individuals. Astronomer Mark D'Antonio will be here to enlighten us on some intriguing and puzzling things going on in the outer space world around and above us. But first, I'm starting the show with, with another person who's also one of my favorites, and he's probably the busiest person on Earth when it comes to the subject of UFOs. Nick Pope worked at Great Britain's Ministry of Defense for 21 years, and for three of those years, he was in charge of its UFO project. The Ministry of Defense, or MOD, will, you'll hear that phrase a lot, MOD, is the UK's highest level military headquarters. It's something like our own Department of Defense in America. Now, while at the MOD, Nick researched and investigated UFOs, alien abduction cases, crop circles, and other strange things, including a variety of conspiracy theories. He's the author of several books, including Encounter in Rendlesham Forest, which we are going to talk about. And I've been trying to get him on this show for a long time. He's so busy. Nick, welcome to Edge of Reality Radio, sir. Thank you. It's great to be on the show. I'm happy to hear your voice under any circumstances, whether we're face-to-face -face or, or not. How, how did you first get a job with the, ministry, the, the, the British Ministry of Defense? I, I was curious, if did you answer a one ad that was in the local papers, or did someone actually knock on your door and trying to recruit you? How did that begin? 
Well, I don't want this to sound too nepotistic, but I had what you would euphemistically call in the UK, certainly a tap on the shoulder from my own father, who oh. was a very senior uh, official in the Ministry of Defense, and he really encouraged me to put an application in. Now, he had nothing to do with that application, of course. The MOD is huge, and they are constantly recruiting people. But he said that uh, he had very much enjoyed his time there. I mean, he was still serving. And uh, he, he said, uh, you, you really will find it's interesting and important work. So I put my application in it takes ages because uh, not only do you have to to do all the tests and things but because it's the ministry of defense there are uh, a lot of security checks background checks that have to be made uh, but essentially it was at my father's encouragement and uh, we joked that the ministry of defense is is almost the family firm <laughs> that's that's great and i i know that you started at the MOD around 1985, and you were there until 2006. Do I have those dates correct? Yes, that's, that's right. And in that time, I did about seven or eight different jobs at successively higher levels. Mm. And I, I was promoted up the, uh, the chain of command, so to speak. And I should say, by the way, that I was a, a civilian employee. Your, your analogy is spot on. The Ministry of Defense is exactly like the U.S. Department of Defense. It's, it's the U.K.'s highest level military headquarters, but it's mm. also a policy-making government department. So I did, I did seven or eight different postings, wildly different things. UFOs was, was obviously, I guess, the thing that I'm uh, best known for, but I did some fascinating other things too. Well, I know that of the years that you were there, between 1991 and 94, that's when you were in charge of their UFO project. And, and, and so you, you had already been at the MOD for about six years before you were assigned to the UFO office. And in fact, that, is that how it happened? Did someone approach you, that little tap on the shoulder, and did they tell you that you were being promoted to UFOs? And at the time, did, would, did you consider that it was a promotion? Well, it was actually a level transfer, and it was mm. a slightly odd one because I was already in the division in which that particular job is, is embedded. But I was in, uh, the division has two halves, without wanting to get into a real alphabet soup. But, um, and this is why we call it the UFO project or UFO program, because it's, it's far more sort of, you know, does what it says on the tin than talking about secretariat air staff but that's the name mm. of the division and i was in a different part of secretariat air staff where my responsibilities included briefing senior officers uh, ahead of visiting air force bases and i also had some responsibilities uh, this was a, a, a bit of a sad one actually, but uh, responsibilities in terms of military aircraft accidents uh -huh. where I would do quite a lot of the parliamentary and public work on that. And, and then what happened is we had the Persian Gulf War and because I had a very high security clearance, I was seconded 
into the Joint Operations Center, uh, into the Air Force Ops Room. And there I was working to a manager who said he knew that I was looking for a move, but would I consider a slightly odd one, instead of moving from Secretariat Air Staff to another division, moving from one part of SEC-AS to another, essentially into the UFO job? And I, hmm. I said, sure. Wow. Did they, when you made that move, did did your title change? Did they give you a title that like you fit onto your business card, Nick Pope, um, senior UFO officer, or something like that? No, I think it changed from Secretariat Air Staff One A to Secretariat Air Staff Two B. I think. <laughs> okay. okay. Now, while you I know it's were... not very exciting, is it? It's, it's <clears> like <throat> that's why I wish we called it something like Project Blue Book, but we didn't really go in for those sorts of code names for, for something like that. And that's probably why most people refer to it as the UFO project, probably as a takeoff from Project Blue Book, because that's what we had our, as our name here. Yes, UFO project, but I've also, the media have used UFO program, UFO mm. desk, you, you know, there are variations on a theme. So we're at 1991, so between 1991 and 94, you were, you were in your office working on UFOs, did you ever see or at least suspect that your government was, and may still be, covering up some truth about UFOs? Well, I'll have to answer that one carefully. I okay. Think, <laughs> yeah. Let me put it this way. We consistently, I think, um, downplayed the full extent of our interest in the subject, our involvement with it, um, by really almost dismissing the whole subject in a soundbite. And you've probably heard this phrase before, no defense significance. So mm. we, we sort of said, look, you know, we glance, we, we would be very dismissive about it. We'd say, and, and I say, we would say, I mean, to the British Parliament, to the media, if they asked, and to the public. We, we'd say, well, we glance at these reports and uh, we're, we're looking for evidence of a threat, but we haven't found anything of any defense significance. Now, behind the scenes, we were much more involved with the subject, of course. We were investigating, but we were also in parallel uh, doing research programs, uh, quite a well-known one called Project Condine, mm -hmm. which was essentially a, a full intelligence assessment of the UFO phenomenon. And, and of course, we didn't want this getting out because it would run counter to the way that we were downplaying our role in all this. And people might have said, well, you know, why are you doing an intelligence assessment on something that you constantly say is of, of no real defense significance? So right. we, yeah. yeah, we downplayed the subject, but we, we didn't cover up in the sense that the UFO community mean it. No, no spaceships hidden in aircraft, you know, in, in Air Force hangars, that sort of thing. Yeah, and 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 it's it seems it's remarkable the the similarity between the uh, the MOD UFO project and Project Blue Book. When when that ended in 1969, it ended with three conclusions, and one of those conclusions was through studying 12,000 or more sightings or reports, we've we've concluded that there's, there's nothing about the UFO or flying saucer subject that 
uh, could be a result of any or indicate any uh, threat to our national security. And, and, and the other two conclusions were, of course, there's nothing in there of any interest of science, and we haven't studied anything that indicates that any of these are extraterrestrial vehicles. So basically, in 69, when they tried to downplay it to the public, they were basically saying, we're closing Project Blue Book, time to get back to your regular lives now, nothing more to see here. And it sounds like that's what Project the UFO project in the MOD was also doing the same thing. Like we're we're closing down the the MOD project, but actually behind the scenes we're still interested. You know. Well, I, absolutely, yeah. We yeah. we borrowed a lot of the language, and mm. and we even on on our project we even used a form to record people's UFO sightings, which is very obviously modeled on the old blue book form but the wording is often the same our, our terms of reference our methodology were almost exactly the same as blue book and when we wound up our program in 2009 i am pretty sure the wording was was very similar to what you just quoted from 69 and blue book's termination yeah and you and you had mentioned project condine that was the behind the scenes non-public investigation what what was the most significant conclusion of project condine well it was a little bit of an odd one because it was a very good study in in some respects it did quite a lot of trend analysis it looked for example at um the issue of uap radiation uh, we in the british government used the phrase uap unidentified aerial phenomena and, and of course it's interesting to note that the u.s government has been quite open in saying that uh, we borrowed this phrase from the brits yeah. so so actually this this time what we were doing in the 90s inspired a lot of what's going on um in in the u.s right now and perhaps we can get on to that but i mean um yeah condine was was odd because as i say a good study but a very bizarre conclusion where essentially the author went down a little bit of a rabbit hole in terms of his own personal pet theory, which was relating to exotic atmospheric plasma phenomena. So there was lots of good stuff about the potential air safety implications of UAP, uh, lots of interesting material about non-ionizing radiation and the effects that close encounters might have on people but it was all mm. attributed to exotic atmospheric plasmas even though in some respects the headline conclusion was the phenomenon is real yes as as was a quote almost from uh, lieutenant general nathan twining in a 1947 memo to higher ups where he said the phenomenon is very real it's not fictitious it's not imaginary yeah <laughs> Yeah, we used the phrase in Condine um, uh, that UAP exist is indisputable, is, right. is how it uh, started in the executive summary. Last week, <clears throat> I spoke with retired Air Force Colonel Chuck Halt, who, as you know, in 1980, he was the deputy base commander at the twin military bases called Bentwaters and Woodbridge in England. Over Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, 
not just hot flashes. MIDI specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. It's true that some things change as we get older, but if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. For three nights, and this is background material for the audience, over three nights, in late December 1980, there was essentially an outbreak of UFO activity in and around the Rendlesham Forest area near the base. Colonel Halt was among the many eyewitnesses to these events. Shortly after the incident, he sent a one-page memo about it to the Ministry of Defense, hoping someone there would begin an investigation of the UFO events in December. According to Halt, the MOD never replied to his memo. And years later, when the MOD started releasing batches of previously classified UFO documents to the public, and I wrote several stories about this for the Huffington Post, and, and you, Nick, you were included in those stories. Now I want to let the audience know first that when the Rendlesham Forest UFO encounters took place in 1980, that was about five years before Nick even began working at the MOD. But my question to you, Nick, is once you started working there, especially in the UFO project, do you remember when you first heard about those events of 1980, and, and did you possibly look for any documents about it? I was aware of it from, I think, my first week on the job. And mm. one of the reasons was that we still had the file in our office. And um, you're quite right that uh, for whatever reason, and I, I don't want to get into criticizing uh, any of my predecessors, but for whatever reason, the ball was dropped on that. But it's certainly not true to say that the, the Ministry of Defense didn't investigate. We did. Mm. The, the problem uh, was that we didn't then brief our findings back to the United States. And, and you know, I should say that the U.S. was a little bit remiss in, in briefing us on certain aspects of the case, too. And all yeah. of this, all of this can be validated by the Ministry of Defense's own file, which has now been declassified and released as part of a wider program that I, I was actually involved with. But, but this file shows quite clearly what was happening 
immediately after Colonel Holt sent his memo in, uh, one of the things that we did, for example, is, is Holt recorded in that memo the levels of radioactivity taken from mm. the site mm. where this object was seen to have landed on the first night. Mm-hmm. And parts of the defense intelligence staff that have responsibility for scientific and technical intelligence looked at those radioactivity levels and assessed them as being significantly higher than the average background. But we never briefed that back to the U.S. So, but things were going on. Now, because I think as we now know it, and you tell me if any of this has changed, when the MOD was releasing files to the public over the last few years, there was nothing there about Rendlesham and there were some statements made to the effect that those files mysteriously vanished. I'm really interested to hear your take on all this, especially since you wrote an excellent book called Encounter in Rendlesham Forest. Yes, some of the Rendlesham documents have, for whatever reason, been lost and or destroyed. That's true. But I think that duplicates of most of them were in other files which have been released. You see, the thing is that three separate Ministry of Defense divisions had some involvement in the UFO subject. Secretariat Air Staff, where I worked, we had the policy and investigative lead. The Defense Intelligence Staff supplied scientific and technical intelligence advice, and Directorate of Air Defense supplied radar advice. So now the Defense Intelligence file covering the Rendlesham period is lost, but I think that most, if not all, of the papers were in the two other sections file. So I, I'm sorry, this sounds horribly bureaucratic and confusing, <laughs> and, and it is. I mean, that's just the way government works, but nine times out of ten, this is, this is bureaucracy and not conspiracy. But those files, I, I think we've got most of the papers, probably not all, but I, I wanted to... one. Last point, maybe, on Rendlesham. I said the U.S. government didn't brief us on everything, so it's not just a one-way failure. One of the most intriguing file uh, documents in the file was a document that said that various physical evidence, uh, and things like the soil samples, right. the sap samples, were removed from the United Kingdom by the Commander-in-Chief United States Air Force in Europe, General Gabriel, and taken to his headquarters at Ramstein. And you can read between the lines of the British document where we found that out as, as essentially, we were furious. Oh, wow. I mean, talk about one hand not knowing what the other hand is doing or, ah, oh, it, it's Yeah, it's, so it's essentially, amazing. I yeah. mean, boiling it down very simply, both the U.S. and the U.K. government were doing their own investigation, but they were not information sharing. It's an age-old problem in governments. Mm. Now, and speaking of UFO documents, earlier this year, the Ministry of Defense announced its intent to release many more UFO-related files to the public. Now, that hasn't happened yet. Um, what can you tell us about what we can expect to see in those documents and have you already seen them and is any hint of a smoking gun in there let me take the last question first there isn't a smoking gun in those 
documents. So we're, okay. we're not about to have disclosure from the British government. Yeah, okay. Um, you and I have talked, I think, several times previously, and you've run some stories on this in Huffington Post, I know, yeah. mm-hmm. that, that starting in May of 2008, the British government began a program to declassify and release its, its entire archive of files. We thought at the time, and I, I had taken early retirement, but I came out to, to do a whole bunch of interviews to help promote this. We thought at the time it would take two to three years. It ended up taking 11 years, and I think the, the final three files were, were released at the end of last, uh, or April 2019. Mm-hmm. And... In all, about 60,000 documents have been released. And then they found some more, as mm. you say. Now, what, what this is, is essentially it's just, it, it's two things. Firstly, it's correspondence from the public, including Freedom of Information Act re- requests about the subject. And secondly, it's people who reported UFOs without being aware or maybe without believing that the the MOD stopped investigating in 2009. So none of this is going to be particularly exciting. It's going to be some Freedom of Information Act requests and some citing reports from the public. They did hope to have this material out by the end of March, but obviously coronavirus has, has skewed everything and goodness knows when we'll see it. This year, I hope, but um, don't hold your breath. Um, I'm actually hoping that there's going to be something more about Rendlesham in there, but it doesn't sound like that's what's going to be released at this point. I don't think so. Yeah. You know, there, on your website's personal position statement about UFOs, I really like what you wrote about a particular defense intelligence staff document from 1995. And, and it said, and I quote, if the sightings are of devices not of this earth, then their purpose needs to be established as a matter of priority. There has been no apparent hostile intent and other possibilities are, one, military reconnaissance, two, scientific, and three, tourism. <laughs> <laughs> end quote and and the document went on to say quote we could use this technology if it exists end quote yeah <laughs> well you know that was i loved reading that it, it's uh, yeah it's part of a series of documents that were relating to the setting up of project condine and it goes back to the point that behind the scenes even though we said no defense significance a lot of us privately were saying to each other, you know, we, we can't put our hands on our hearts and say there isn't a threat here because we don't know. We haven't done an intelligence assessment. Um, so, yeah, some of these documents are revealing. And although that document always gets a laugh, in one sense, it, it conveys a particular truth about the phenomenon that if we're being visited by extraterrestrials, uh, the technology needed for viable interstellar travel is orders of magnitude above anything we've got. So we're not going to have anything to teach extraterrestrials or interest them in, <laughs> in relation to science and technology. So right. it will be the more abstract things. Um, and they, they'll be coming here, I'm sure, as, as cultural anthropologists to look at our, our more abstract things, our, our political systems, and, and maybe the more abstract things like art 
music, literature, um, and who knows, tourism. <laughs> but I, I just love the tourism because that's almost like so many science fiction movies <laughs> that we've that we've seen. Like, why are they here? Well, tourism. Well, they're they're coming from our own future uh, to to study their own past. I mean, I love those kinds of concepts. But of course, we we don't know for sure because we just don't know. We we uh, don't know. But you you yeah. hit on a very important point right at the end when you said you you quoted that bit where it said we could use that technology if it exists. <laughs> yeah. And of course technology acquisition is something that runs through the British government's UFO program, and it's very much part of, of the Pentagon's ATIP program. If you look at, for example, Harry Reid's letter to the Deputy uh, Defense Secretary in, in um, June 2009, it talks about exactly these points. And, and it's clear to me that the ATIP people were well aware, for example, of, of Project Condine, right down to copying our use of the phrase UAP. Mm-hmm. Well, and we're co coming up on our first break here, and I'm talking with Nick Pope, and when we come back, we are going to get into the idea of ATIP, the, the Pentagon, the United States Navy, and what's been in the news lately about the, the UFO videos that we've all seen at this point. Uh, I'm Lee Spiegel. You're listening to Edge of Reality Radio on KGRARadio.com. We'll be back shortly. Why is it we're not very good with our health regimen until it's too late? We don't put oil in the car until the engine blows up. When the body's out of balance, your health is not so good. Give your body some love. Log on to GetTheTea.com. That's GetTheTea.com. Try our Life Change Tea, which cleanses you from harmful intruders. A clean colon is one of the ways to bring the body in balance. We also carry organic supplements to help you get where you need to go. So do your body a favor. Log on to GetTheTea.com. That's GetTheTea.com. You can even visit our sales page to save some dough. Uh, does anybody call money dough anymore? Anyway, if you're looking for short, helpful health tips, go to YouTube and punch in Health Matters Now. That's Health Matters Now. So log on to GetTheTea.com, shop, get balanced, then learn some cool tips at Health Matters Now. You'll be glad you did. That's GetTheTea.com. For the thousands of wounded warriors returning from battle, Wounded Warrior Project has developed the Warriors to Work program, a career counseling service that helps wounded warriors translate their military experience to a civilian job. These extraordinary men and women bring more than just teamwork and inspiration to the workplace. They bring proven world-class job skills. And to ensure proper placement, Wounded Warrior Project works with employers to find just the right job fit. Talented, skilled, and eager to get back to work, you have the opportunity to hire a seasoned veteran. Contact Wounded Warrior Project at findwwp.org. Welcome home, the brave.
So, you love talk radio, then you'll love TalkStreamLive.com. TalkStream Live is always on, 24-7, with the best streaming talk shows. Find your favorite talkers and discover some new ones. It's free, readily available online, or on mobile with any smartphone or tablet. Finding your favorite talk shows all in one place has gotten a whole lot easier. Just brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Go to talkstreamlive.com. Be sure to download the free apps from Google Play or the iTunes apps. Store. The new KGRA YouTube channel is now live. Subscribe and be sure to hit the bell to stay up to date on the latest major announcements, alerts on trading topics, exclusive live streams, live video cast, and that's just the beginning. Be the first to know what's coming from the KGRA TV channel in real time. So keep it locked in to your contact for alternative talk radio on the internet. Your KGRARadio.com. More ways for you to make contact. Live Discord chat rooms, live talk radio, live video cast, toll-free HD phones, and coming this year, live streaming TV. Giving you more ways to make contact. Your KGRARadio.com. You're back on Edge of Reality Radio. I'm Lee Spiegel on KGRA, radio.com. Tonight, I'm talking with Nick Pope, who many people have referred to as the real-life Fox Mulder. You know, that fictional FBI investigator from the X-Files TV series and movies. Uh, Nick, uh, have you ever heard that? I'm sure you've heard that before. <laughs> yes, I can't remember who first started that. I think it was a, a British journalist, but it's, uh, it kind of took off and then uh, art imitated life and i actually ended up doing some some spokesperson work for the x-files franchise and and met chris carter and um david duchovny and Julian mm -hmm. anderson at, at one of the premieres and so that that was quite fun i want to get into this subject i know that you like talking about the uh, i'll give i'll give the audience a little bit of background here the, the pentagon recently released a supposedly surprise statement about three now famous videos taken by Navy jet pilots, which showed UFOs or something unidentified in flight. Over the past three years, I imagine most people have seen those videos, including one now known as the Tic Tac video. Uh, this was right after a New York Times story it came out at the end of 2017. It reported on the Pentagon 
finally coming clean about these UFO encounters from 2004 and 2015. Just about every news organization reported this story and showed those videos. But then this odd timeline of events began to unfold since then. And, and Nick, you'll be able to fill in the gaps here for us. But simply put, after the Pentagon's revelation in 2017, the revelation being that it has been doing behind-the-scenes investigations of UFOs, which the public didn't know about, then the Navy came out and wouldn't give more details about the UFOs in those videos other than to claim that no one had been authorized to release the videos in the first place. And a year ago... In April, the Navy announced it was developing new guidelines for its personnel to report and to document UFO encounters. Then, in January of this year, the United States Office of Naval Intelligence announced that any government agency that shared those UFO videos with the public would cause grave danger to the national security of the United States. And then, the Pentagon said those UFO clips were historical Navy videos. They're real. Then on top of that, the Defense Department posted the, the videos on its website for all the world to see. So it raises a whole bunch of questions like, does this mean these UFO videos represent finally any first official release of UFO reality? And who, who exactly was responsible for releasing these UFO clips? Was it the Pentagon was it the Navy or the Department of Defense or the private organization called to the Stars Academy? Nick, who's telling the truth about all of this? Please clarify this for us. Well, clarification is going to be difficult. This is what those of us who've done this sort of thing in government call murky. Mm. And this, is, this is more than a little murky. I should... I, I should make one very important point. Uh, the bit that you quoted where you said uh, release of this information would cause exceptionally grave damage mm. to the national security of the United States, that related to um, a classified video associated with the 2004 uh, Tic Tac incident uh, involving the USS Nimitz, but mm -hmm. it's not... It's not the unclassified version that we've, we've all seen. So one of two things, either it's a different video, but relating to the same incident, ah. or it's the same video, but with various items of, of telemetry, other information left in that, that push this across the line and make it classified. But, but what we've seen on the website, and of course what the DOD put on their own website on April 27th. Those are unclassified. Also, in parallel, there are some briefing slides associated with this subject, and they're classified top secret. And, and that is probably relating to, uh, we know, for example, that various senators on the, the Armed Services Committee and the Intelligence Committee have been briefed. We know, because he's confirmed it twice, that the president has been briefed on this. Mm -hmm. Well, somebody gave that briefing, and doubtless those top-secret briefing slides were part of that presentation. Do we have any idea? Do you have any idea what those slides or the, the, the better full videos actually show? Why aren't we being so, shown this? 
Well, I don't know what's in the video. It's, as I say, I, it's not clear whether it is simply the same video, like maybe a little bit more cleared up version where you might be able to actually tell what the object is, or whether it has various items of data relating to things like speed, distance, which would enable people to calculate, for example, the size of the object. So it may be that. In relation to the top secret briefing slides, one thing that I think will be in there is what I call the best current assessment. Now, this is important because if you ask the Department of Defense Office of Public Affairs what these three videos show, the answer that, that you get is um, our official position is that the, the phenomenon shown remain unidentified. Right. Well, the follow-up right. question, of course, is I get that, <laughs> you don't know, but yeah. you don't go in and brief the president or the armed services committee and go, well, yeah, we don't know, and then pack up and leave because the president says, wait a minute, okay, well, let's run through a few options. So there are all these options. Is it uh, some black project technology, secret prototype aircraft, drone being operated by another part of the government? Is it Russia? Is it China? Mm. Is it extraterrestrial? Is mm. it something else? And you run through all of that. So one of the things that will likely be in the best, in the top secret briefing slides is the best current assessment. And it will probably run through all the theories, but one of them will be top. But because of your background at the at the MOD, you know how governments work. You know how they work behind the scenes. You know how they make decisions about what to tell or not to tell or how to tell the public about certain things. What is your assessment of what you think is going on here? And And I guess part of my question is, do you think that there's some... I don't know, underlying fear on the part of not just our government, but maybe all governments to tell, to be transparent completely to the public about what's going on in the skies around our planet. Well, I think there's a couple of points there. I mean, firstly, mm. it, it is almost certainly the case that the, the U.S. government is being truthful when it says, we don't know what these things are. And that's not a place any government wants to go mm. because it, it, you know, governments exist you know, and thrive through projecting power and authority. Mm. And turning around and saying, there's something in our airspace, but we don't know what. Our pilots have been chasing them. Our radar operators have been tracking them, but yeah, yeah. they gave us the slip. Doesn't right. make you look very good. <laughs> right. So, so it's not so much fear of telling the public that, I don't know, we're, we're not alone. There wouldn't necessarily be a problem there, but it's fear of this implication that stems from this, that we've somehow lost control of our own skies. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and not just military uh, jet fighter pilots, but all the cases of commercial pilots as well that that play tag with things that are buzzing around their airliners, and not only the crews of commercial flights, but when passengers see and sometimes take pictures of these things too, and that also expands it because how many airline companies want to talk about this or want their pilots talking about this kind of thing? Wouldn't be good for business, I would think. No, you've only got to see how uh, the, the famous 
case involving the UFO scene at Chicago O'Hare. Yes. And how the, the airline very quickly moved, stepped in to shut down any discussion of this, made it abundantly clear to pilots, to other personnel who'd seen these, these things, that, that they were not to talk about it. And, and the FAA, too, were very tight-lipped. It, it's like it's almost as if either the nations of the world or the United Nations or whoever is really in control here of authority around the planet. It's like they're not really sure how the public might react, even if they were to make some kind of a of a of an announcement of well, we we don't think that whatever these things are that are in the skies that we can't get near or close or outmaneuver. There doesn't seem to be any hostile intentions. Um, so we'll keep you posted, folks, on, on what we what we determine as time goes on. But, you know, please, please go on about your daily business. And you're in good hands here with us. Nobody wants yeah. to say that. No, there's, there's no, yeah, there, there's no problem with saying we found extraterrestrial life. For example, if it's very distant, if you pick up a signal. Right. And there's right. probably no problem even saying we've discovered extraterrestrial visitation mm. as long as you've got an absolute handle on what's going on but it's the we, we're not quite sure what's going on we don't know who they are what they want what they're doing you know that's the place government yeah. doesn't want to go yeah and you know, for all those people who say especially the hard-nosed skeptics or the debunkers who will always say um look they can't possibly be from uh, another planet or another solar system because because they just can't travel those great distances between there and here and 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 basically what what they're saying is because we don't know how to do that yet then nobody else can do that either if they're only well, 500 years ahead of us technologically maybe they can do stuff that we don't know yet we're we're working toward that you know we're working toward hyperspace and warp speed out of Star Trek to get us from one place to another faster, but we're not there yet. So since we can't do it, we don't want to let you know that we think someone else can, <laughs> you know? Yeah, and you're, you're right to say that we are working on things like uh, warp drive and wormholes. And mm -hmm. in fact, one of the most, we don't have much paperwork about the Pentagon's ATIP program. But one of the things we do have, and I was actually the first to obtain it and publish it from the Defense Intelligence Agency's Office of Corporate Communications, is a letter dated January 9th, I think 2018, which the DIA sent to Congress shortly after the New York Times broke the story about ATIP. And it said, this is a, a list of the products produced under the ATIP contract. And what was in the list, I mean, despite the cover letter trying to spin this as a, a program about next generation aerospace threats, mm -hmm. you know, you'd think Russia, China, drones, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, the, the list of 38 studies covered things like anti-gravity, invisibility, warp drive, wormholes, and... The one was on the Drake equation. And of course, the Drake right, equation, right. yeah, it's, its only purpose is to try and estimate the number of communicable civilizations in the galaxy. So clearly nothing to do with Russia or China, aircraft or drones. It, it, I mean, it With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No It is amazing. Um, and, and people don't understand the idea that it has nothing to do with are we alone or not. I, I basically, I don't care where these things come from. I don't care whether they're from someplace in the physical universe or someplace in the non-physical universe. I don't care. I, I, I'm satisfied after many decades of looking into this that, that Earth is being visited by something, by something, someone. I don't care. I just think it's important that people start to get used to that. But there are a lot of arguments against that. Uh, even uh, the late Stephen Hawking was, was pretty much concluding that we here on Earth, we shouldn't be trying to find that signal from outer space that the, the SETI Institute is looking for. We shouldn't announce our presence to the, the galaxy because it look at how badly it turned out for, um, for the Native Americans when Columbus and early explorers arrived on our shores. So again, there, there is that fear of we should, we should stay pretty much self-quarantined as a civilization. We don't want anybody to know we're here. Let them enjoy our old reruns of I Love Lucy and The Lone Ranger without knowing well, that, we're here. Yeah, yeah that, that's the problem, of course. You know, yeah. We can't self-quarantine because we have been a detectable civilization <laughs> yeah. uh, since, since our first radio and television broadcast. So, so that's not even really a, a debate anymore. And I mean, but you, I take Stephen Hawking's point, and uh, you mentioned earlier this, this idea, oh, you know, the skeptical, they can't get here from there. Um, what if they're 500 years ahead of us, though? Well, the universe is nearly 14 billion years old, and even allowing for cycles of star formation, what if there's a civilization or multiple civilizations out there with a billion year head start on us, never mind 500 yeah. years. Yeah. What might that look like? I, I, I keep reminding people, especially the skeptical point of view, when they say, well, none of this is coming to us from someplace else, and it must be Russia or China or some sophisticated drone. And I will always come back with the same argument. Hey, what about all the same things that were, that were bothering our jet fighter pilots 70 years ago? you know, the same kind of outmaneuverability that these kinds of objects had way back then when certainly none of us had this. But now there's no speculation anymore. Sure, there are other countries that are developing the technology, but what about what happened in the 40s? What about that stuff? Let's not forget that, I tell people. No, that's very important. We mustn't forget our, our history. And, you know, going back to the U.S. government's position on this and 
we don't know what's in those three videos. Although I think President Trump said recently at the end of a Reuters uh, briefing, he said it's one heck of a video and who knows it might be real. Now, yeah, yeah. You know, so we're in different territory now with presidents you know, not waiting till they're no longer president and going on Jimmy Kimmel to talk about this, but sitting presidents talking about this, which is which is interesting. I think one question for the U.S. government would, would be to flip it around and say, okay, if you don't know what it is, have you have you taken the extraterrestrial hypothesis off the table? Mm. And mm. that that would be an interesting one. Um, yes, yes, it would be. Just turn it around. I'm I'm curious about. Um, whether whether you think in, in terms of a conspiracy theory, do you have any idea how far back in history that America's military and other classified organizations have been gathering and keeping and possibly hiding dark secrets? Oh well, I, on UFOs or on other things. I mean, I again, I, yeah, <laughs> it, it's wide open because UFOs I would consider to be uh, a dark secret, basically. Yeah, I, I mean, I think government exists on secrecy, and the default position is obviously very often say nothing or say as little as possible. Mm. But I think, I mean, just as a matter of history, I suppose people have always looked up to the skies and seen strange things, and, and some of those things have been documented. And I'm sure that governments from pretty much as soon as those reports were hitting their awareness were saying well i wonder what this is is it a threat to us and government thinks in terms of threats and opportunities and i think we sometimes forget the opportunity and it's it's back to our old friend technology acquisition mm. uh, people will be asking you know if if this is something that seems a little bit ahead of what we can currently do um we should have that i know that you're very interested in things that are considered conspiracy theories. Um, and, and I'm curious, what would, what would you define as a typical dark secret that the American or British government wouldn't be happy to disclose? Well, I mean, one, one can run through, I suppose, all the, the historic conspiracy theories that people believe in, like, like, um, the assassination of JFK not mm -hmm. being the result of a, a lone gunman, the idea that we didn't go to the moon, um, the death of Princess Diana, was it something more than a, a, a car accident? 9-11, uh, of course, was it an inside job? Uh, the war in Iraq, were we taken to war on a lie? Um, I'm not a, I, I'm not a, and you know, the list goes on and on. And, and yeah. bringing it right up to date, of course, there are all sorts of coronavirus conspiracies. In my experience, most of these things are, are not true. I mean, they were, you know, I mean, I don't think there's any doubt, for example, that we went to the moon. And I, I think there's a whole bunch of, of things, everything from the you know, differences in the moon rocks to terrestrial rocks that any geologist could could test and, and you know a whole bunch of other things that that can take something like that and prove it i mean i think you know the things like were we taken to war in iraq on a lie are much more difficult because to borrow a phrase from the british government's inquiry 
the, the intelligence on WMD was sporadic and patchy. It's not a binary thing, you know, yes or no. It, it, it was a maybe. I, I think arguably the, the, the possibility was, was presented as more of a certainty, but, but the devil's in the detail. I remember you told me years ago that when you were working, uh, I believe it was probably when you were with the, the UFO project in those three years, that one of the things that you used to do was that you would often go out to places where there were UFO conferences or, or speeches being given or gatherings of people talking about UFOs. And you kind of quietly went there just to kind of investigate what was going on there. Was, was there any, any particular thing that you were looking for? Or did someone from higher up say to you, we want you to go and check these people out just for any information? It was a little bit of both. And I think hmm. some of the documents relating to this have now been declassified and released. And um, one very funny occasion, actually, I was, I was sat at a UFO conference and the organizer, who was very conspiratorial, said, and I'd like to extend a greeting uh, to anyone in the audience from the government. We know you're there. And I avoided <laughs> looking over and smiling at the person sitting next to me. Um, <laughs> but, but look, what, I, I, there were two sides to it. One, of course, we, we weren't so arrogant as to think that people in the UFO community um, wouldn't have some interesting pieces of the puzzle. And, and if they did, why not see if we could get those pieces of the puzzle? So that was part of it. The other part of it was there was a suspicion that some of these people were sometimes um, kind of getting a little bit too close to secret prototype aircraft projects, mm. black programs, that, that sort of thing. And again, it was a, uh, what do they know and how do they know it? Is, is anyone leaking classified information? And could my going to a UFO conference or subscribing covertly just to UFO magazines, which we had delivered to us via a PO box number, could, could this fill in a few gaps? In just the next final couple of couple of minutes that we have here in this hour, I want you to tell the story that I've always I always like things about things that disappear, like the the Reynolds from uh, Forest files. Um, tell the story about when you started working at uh, in the UFO project, and there was something on the wall. There was a picture of something, like one day it was there and the next day it was gone. Tell ab about that. Yes, this was a blown-up poster-sized enlargement of the best of uh, six photos that we had acquired in August 1990 of a huge diamond-shaped craft flying, flying above the ground in, in Scotland. Mm. And um, uh, this was on our office wall, and one day it, it wasn't. And I was like, hey, who's stolen my <laughs> our poster? And it turned out to be our head of division, had convinced himself that this must be some sort of U.S. secret prototype hypersonic aircraft, and therefore it's classified, and therefore we shouldn't have it on <laughs> our wall. And the U.S. authorities denied this. We nearly ended up causing a diplomatic incident over the whole thing. Uh, suffice to say, when they declassified and released the MOD UFO files, I thought, oh, great, we'll see that photo again. Uh, but it had mysteriously disappeared. Uh, fortunately, 
I, I teamed up with a graphic artist in LA and we did a very, very good recreation of it. And uh, there is a couple of, uh, there are a couple of documents relating to it in one of the declassified files. And there's a poor copy, photocopy, black and white photocopy of a line drawing of one of the photos. But, but I recreated it with a help of a graphic artist. And so we've, yeah. I, I, well, I always love the idea that something that became classified was just a little too classified to be hanging on one of our walls. Yeah, we can't, yeah. We can't have that. <laughs> it, it's not quite as good a story as the ship's log that mysteriously blew overboard um, oh. when in relation to another UFO incident, but that's another story. Well, and, and, and we've come to the end of our first hour. Nick, I, I want to thank you for joining us tonight. There's so much more that you and I can talk about, and, and I really want you to come back because there's just a list of topics we can get into. I, I hope you'll do that, okay? Yes, there's more stories that are going to drop on ATIP and related issues this yeah. year. So um, I, I can come back later in the year and perhaps we can fill in a few gaps. That would be perfect. For more information about Nick Pope, go to nickpope.net. Once again, it's nickpope.net. And check out his book, Encounter in Rendlesham Forest. Thank you again, Nick. Much appreciated. Thank you. And stay with us, folks. After the break, I'll be joined by astronomer Mark D'Antonio to talk about some weird happenings in UFOs and in the cosmos. I'm Lee Spiegel, and you're listening to Edge of Reality Radio on KGRARadio.com. Okay, nurse, let's get this man to the ER, stat. Right away, doctor. We see this every day. Heart attack or angina pain due to blocked and clogged arteries. Chelation can remove obstructions or blockages from arteries and help avoid painful and expensive surgery. Now there's Angioprim. It's a liquid oral chelation product that you take with juice. You start to feel the results fast. Angioprim increases blood flow all over the body, and that means more energy and strength to take on the day with less aches and pains. 60 years of research has gone into chelation. And Angioprim is the result, a safe and easy way to unblock your veins and arteries from buildup that slow circulation. Paging Dr. Jones, please report to the emergency room right away. Log on now to Angioprim.com. That's A-N-G-I-O-P-R-I-M.com. Or to speak with a trained consultant, give Angioprim a call at 954-882-7221. That's 954-882-7221. Folks. This is very important information. What's to be said about CBD? AncientLifeOil.com Our CBD is made from hemp and has 0.003 THC, which means this wonderful product won't get you high. No matter what amount you take, what does CBD do for the body? My hands are tied. But you can Google CBD benefits and be astounded. When you're finished reading, you'll want to log on to AncientLifeOil.com That's AncientLifeOil.com and purchase. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Life is good when you feel good. People are tired of pain. People are asking for non-GMO organic products to help them with... <laughs> you fill in the blank. Legal in 49 states, and again, our CBD is made from hemp. Ancient Life Oil is about helping people one by one by one. If you wonder how good the product is, the CEO takes it every day without miss. AncientLifeOil.com. That's AncientLifeOil.com. Have a great day. You can tug all day long on a carpet that's been glued to the floor. Then you hurt. There are many strong glues out there. Let's see, there's liquid nails and Gorilla Glue. You ever try to remove 3M5200? That adhesive is strong. Then there's bathroom caulk, silicone rubber, adhesive tape, super glue, flex tape, and stickers. Graffiti. Scientists have come up with glues that stay stuck and can't be removed. Until now. Until Handyman Formula by DeBond. That's right. 95% of adhesives become unstuck when you spray Handyman Formula directly on them. Just spray, wait a few minutes, and remove. It's amazing. Most adhesives become unstuck when you use Handyman Formula. Visit DeBondCorporation.com or MCMaster.com. Call 561-575-4200. This stuff really works. Handyman Formula by DeBond, a great Christmas gift. Mainstream media's most wanted. KGRARadio.com. Welcome back to Edge of Reality Radio on KGRARadio.com. I'm Lee Spiegel, and now it's time for my second guest tonight, who many of you may be familiar with. He's astronomer Mark D'Antonio and is the chief photo and video analyst for the largest aerial anomaly organization on Earth. Mark is the host of Sky Tour Radio Sunday nights right here on KGRA Radio and is also host of Sky Tour live stream on YouTube where you can use your computers to watch amazing live deep night sky objects courtesy of special cameras and telescopes that Mark uses. He's the author of The Populated Universe from Amazon. Not, not that it's The Populated Universe that's from Amazon. That's not part of the title. All right, you get it. From Amazon. <laughs> Mark, welcome back again to Edge of Reality Radio. <laughs> this, this certainly feels like the edge of reality, Lee. Let me tell you, you know. Does it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and I wrote the book in the Amazon. That's what that was supposed to be. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, okay. Well, see, that's that's why I get those things messed up. But nope, we're, no, we're good. We're fine. I did. I wrote it as therapy after after uh, learning how to walk and talk and see again. Oh, after all the operations that you had. Things that went wrong. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it was my therapy to finish the book, so I did. And oh, then, good. Full editor, which helped me uh, figure out everything I needed to do and uh, to to get everything right, and that was wonderful. Yeah. Well, we're all very, very, very happy that you're with us. Me, most of all. Uh, so I'm I'm just curious uh, at the top here. What what's the most recent or overall mysterious thing you've looked at 
that's going on in the skies above Earth. Uh, are we talking about using uh, the SkyTour live stream setup, or are we talking about in general? I, I would say either, either in general, because I know that when you're not on the air or on YouTube doing it, you, you know, you don't just quarantine yourself in your house. You're out there in your backyard. You're in your observatory. You're looking at stuff. So I'm just curious, what what has struck you recently that's really great? Sure, and I I can address that. But first, I just want to address the the uh, the concept of being in the backyard with a telescope. See, those <laughs> of us who are really committed to doing this, okay, for a yeah. living, moving forward. We have all of our observatories in our front yard, and is, that, tr is, is that true? Really? It's in the front yard. When you drive down the road, there's a dome on the front lawn at yeah. this. Yes, it's about 75 feet from the house, and it's sitting out there on the, alone on a little bit of a hill looking out over all the horizons. It's just a beautiful sight. Um, so, so if somebody's driving past your house and, and you're in the dome looking at things, aren't you concerned that their, their headlights are going to cause a problem with what you're trying to do? No, we've actually – I have the baffling in there so, so well that you can't you – can't ah. if you try to shine a light into the dome, you won't see it at all. Uh, plus, the other thing is, I'm not in the dome when I'm using a telescope. I've managed to make it remote so oh, that I can be cool, in and yeah. out. And I run it all from the computers here in the warm room, uh, appropriately named, <laughs> because in the winter, it certainly is the warm room. You um, are such a genius. I'm I'm impressed. So, what what have you seen lately that you just went, had like a wow or aha moment? Well, you know, there's a couple stories, you know, and I know that uh, you sent me a couple. Uh, hmm. And one of them did. Uh, one of them did actually um, strike me as uh, interesting as well as the others. But the one most of all was that the the Chandra X-ray uh, telescope in space actually saw these jets of matter mm. flying out of a black hole at nearly the speed of light. Now that that's actually it doesn't sound too exciting to the average ordinary person. But it does if you understand that ordinary matter has a really, really difficult time getting up to the speed of light or near mm. the speed of light. And it can't go with the speed of light. That's the speed limit of the universe you know, for physical matter, You know what we call baryonic matter, matter that's made of protons, electrons, neutrons, muons, gluons, and so on. Okay. Mm. That, that is basically just uh, you know, not possible for regular matter. Uh, to go light speed. So this is interesting that this, these jets are almost going at the speed of light. The, the amount of energy required to accelerate matter that fast is, is just stupendous, colossal. Are those good words? I mean, um, and, and no, it doesn't keep me up at night. And yes, it's very far away. But the thing is, uh, you know, even at the distance that it is, we can actually see from the 10,000 light years away that it is, we can actually see and detect this. So really... Uh, it's testament to our technology, which is improvingly, which makes the the uh, identification and study of these distant objects even more uh, phenomenal. You know, and we have airborne observatories now. Uh, we used to have what's called the Kuiper Airborne Observatory, and that's been retired and replaced by Sophia, which is another mm. uh, 747 aircraft with a big giant telescope in it that's almost mm. like feet across it's a massive telescope sticking out of the side of the uh, the aircraft so you might think that the turbulence 
of this jet flying at altitude that you feel even as a passenger when you're driving, you know, flying in one of these jets might be enough to disturb this very, very delicate telescope looking so far away at very high magnification. But the fact is, the telescope is literally micro-stabilized, so nothing can disturb it. It's the most amazing thing, Lee, and I, I swear, you know, I, I wish I had one that I could take on the road and just do drive-by observatory, uh, you know, uh, shows. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I know that, that this black hole, for example, I was reading about it, is, uh, they say, 10,000 light years away from Earth. First of all, does that mean that this event of this, the gas being shot out of it happened 10,000 years ago and we're only seeing the light now? Ah, seeing the light. That's a good way to put it. Uh, yeah, actually, it does, because you know, the entire universe is a time machine. And for those listening who love to look up at the night sky, when you look up at, at night in the night sky, you're seeing stars in three, it's three dimensions, right? So you're seeing stars in three dimensions. And the universe is uh, vast. It's 93 billion light years across, approximately, as far as we know so far. Hmm. And... Some stars are much closer to us. Some stars are much farther away. Some are very bright and far away. Some are very dim and close. And you, you know, so it's all in 3D. However, at the distances that these stars are, the light, which travels at 186,000 miles per second, okay, um, this light takes time to get here from these vast distances. Just from the sun, it takes eight minutes. For the light to reach the earth mm. so if the sun went out right now we wouldn't know for eight minutes mm. then we'd panic <laughs> then we'd panic <laughs> then we'd panic right so uh if you look at the universe it's a time machine everywhere you look you know everyone's familiar with orion the hunter you know the constellation of orion you have bright betelgeuse up at the upper left you have uh rigel down at the lower right well betelgeuse is 700 light years away the belt stars are around 1500 to 1600 light years away in the belt of three. And so they are much further away than Betelgeuse at the upper left. Betelgeuse is actually fairly close to us, in fact, uh, relatively speaking. And it's Betelgeuse, as you may recall, Lita is mm -hmm. the star that will probably be going supernova very soon. Right. As in soon astronomically, about 10,000 years or less. It may already have gone supernova, but the light is still racing through space with the event in it uh, that yeah. we'll see. So we don't know when that's going to be. Wouldn't that be great if it was tomorrow? Uh, yeah, it, it, it would. But And it would be even greater if you could be uh, in your home remotely taking pictures and videos of it. <laughs> and you know what? That we call I call that serendipity. Many scientific uh, studies have been um, seeded in, and have their roots in serendipitous events. Yeah. They just happened to be looking at the right place at the right time. We had one of those in Skype live stream. I don't know if you remember this. Which one? Which, which this event? was the one back in last January. We were streaming the lunar eclipse. Here oh, yes. Yes. The we had 5,000 people watching at the same time as we were streaming this event. And as we were doing this, right at the height of the eclipse, when the moon was blood red in the lower left quadrant, more, more or less, a meteor struck the moon, and we saw it happen. Did you have any recording of that that was happening live or not? Absolutely. It's all recorded on YouTube in the SkyTrue Livestream YouTube channel. And if you sift through the videos, you can actually look for the one that actually has in the title, 
you know, meteor hits the moon, it gives you a time so you can go watch it happen. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to have to go look at that again because I remember I did look at that. Yes, thank, thank you for the reminder for all of us. Yeah, it's, it's you see, again, serendipity uh, is responsible for a lot of wondrous observations and discoveries in astronomy and, and other sciences, not just limited to astronomy. And the thing about the black hole, I'm, I'm still curious, because it's so far away, and which, which I guess even 10,000 light years um, is kind of close to our planet in the cosmic scheme of things. It's but, in our galaxy. Yeah. But, but how do we even know about this? Like, I'm, I'm concerned. I'm not concerned. I'm curious. How does NASA know that it's so far away that this is a black hole there and that they're actually able to take a video of this incident? I, that, that stymies me more than anything else about all of this. <clears throat> well, once they, um, first of all, the Chandra X-ray telescope is actually looking not in the light you see with your eyes. Okay, it's actually looking at the light that of, of very high energy events, X-rays you cannot see. Um, uh, I'm an oddball because when I get X-rays taken, I feel them in my head. Uh, ah, okay. Makes my eyes jitter. Okay, so uh, dental X-rays makes my eyes go crazy. So you can imagine there, there's some biological crossover there. But by and large, X-rays don't affect human beings other than you know in their sight. They can't see them. They can't detect them with their eyes. Um, so uh, their cells know they're there, trust me, if you have too many of them. However, um, the Chandra was scanning the skies, and the Chandra has these programs, uh, program stars that it looks for. It doesn't just swing around and look for random willy-nilly things. It's actually got program stars. Well, this was an interesting sight long ago, and the Chandra was, was looking at it and caught this event uh, happening. Now, it was serendipitous that it caught this event when it did. Because we actually saw this ejection occur mm. from the black hole almost from the very start. And, you know, this is material. And, again, if we want to think about it in terms of how much material, uh, first of all, it was one of the highest speed ejections we've ever seen from a black hole. Uh, and it was, in again, in x-rays. Uh, and according to the article that I read, it, it says that it was like a... 181 million billion kilograms. So if I say that in my best Carl Sagan, you know, 181 million billion kilograms is how much. Wow, that's amazing. That was that was even that was serendipitous. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you for that. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's my favorite astronomer. You know, he he, he was. So I actually thought that that Carl Sagan probably was. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Ahead of his time. You know, uh, a little side note here. Carl Sagan, again, he's one of those guys that just makes an offhand comment that becomes science. Mm. For instance, mm-hmm. he, when the Galileo probe was winging its way to Jupiter, he said, can we turn the probe around and look at Earth? Mm. Why, Carl? Well, because we want to see what a vegetated Earth looks like with Galileo's cameras. Oh, okay. And they did that. And that the result of that was that we now have a database of how forests look, how sand looks, how oceans look from the eyes of a distant satellite that we've sent out to Jupiter. How does that help us now? It helps us in the study of exoplanets. Now we have a database based on something called the reflectance. It's a physical property, okay, of these exoplanets uh, that reflect the uh, reflection in a sense. Uh, Based on the reflectance, we can actually determine whether there may be vegetation or maybe water or maybe sand or maybe ice on a planet thousands of light years away just based on how the light from it reaches our very sensitive detectors. I love that. That's great. Isn't that great? Little by little, the universe is giving up its secrets. And, uh, you know, we have an oxygenated atmosphere, but as I've said to you and many others before, and we stand out like a sore thumb in the universe as a planet that most likely has abundant life because most life in the universe is probably carbon-based, like you, like me, like everything on Earth. And that means it probably has DNA, right? And if it does, it may not look the same as ours. But if it has that carbon base to it, it needs oxygen to get energy and to build energy for the organism. So any alien species worth their salt is going to look for, uh, and and sodium, of course, is a very important thing. So saying worth their salt actually is a tongue-in-cheek joke that maybe no one gets, but but you know astronomers, but. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Although salt, salt could be their principal form of DNA. <laughs> so there you go. The thing that's important is that you know these uh, alien creatures are going to, alien beings elsewhere, are probably going to look for other worlds that they could live on. And those worlds will probably, if they're carbon-based, include an oxygen atmosphere. And, you know, Carl, not Carl Sagan, but, but Stephen Hawking, right? remember what he said? He said, you know, we should lie low and just stay off alien radar, not announce our presence. Remember that? And that's what I was talking to Nick Pope about in our first hour, that exact yeah. thing from Stephen Hawking. Yeah. Yeah. Well, guess what? We have announced it, but it wasn't up yes. to us. The planet did 2.4 to 2.7 billion years ago when oxygen started building up in our atmosphere because of the little phytoplankton, all right, and then later the plants sending oxygen into the atmosphere, that oxygen buildup has sent this signal that this is an oxygenated world out to over 2 billion light years into space. You see, and I always assumed it was that other intelligences on another planet might know that we have life here, solely because of the I Love Lucy reruns that are going out there. I, 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 <laughs> I was going to say the I Love Lucy reruns because I yeah. knew you were going to say it. And you know what? If you think about it, the first radio signals back uh, Marconi and earlier, um, they're only out a couple hundred light years. 
And so if there's any civilizations nearby that are out to about a couple hundred light years, well, yeah, then maybe we could be signaling them. But we've been sending the signal that says this is an oxygen atmosphere, and it's like, we ain't lying low. That's that's screaming saying, we are here. Hey, look over here. Look over here. There's life here. Hello. Hello. Hi there. I'm a protozoan. Yeah, that's me. You know, I'm a little, I'm an amoeba. Hey, hey, I got life here. Look at me. I'm carbon-based. You know, we're yelling it. We're screaming it. The planet is doing so, and it's basically not our doing, you know? I, something that I've, I've been frustrated about whenever I read an, an article about astronomy or something that's been discovered, like, for example, in this article about the black hole, it said that the footage, the video footage, was taken uh, in separate times, first in November of 2018, and then again in February of 2019. So my my basic question is, wh why why does it take so long for this kind of information to finally come out? Well, the stuff is racing at nearly the speed of light. Okay, but you see, what's happening is, Lee, we got a problem here, and that is, it's 10,000 light years away. So at the at, at that speed, at light speed, okay, um, it's going to go. Uh, basically six trillion miles every year okay a mm. light uh basically a light year every year so after 10 years it's going to go 10 light years now that's just a uh, that's a, a a thousandth of of a ten thousand you know so you have to say well okay that's uh that's a small amount can we measure that yeah sure but you see the thing is we have to be able to, when we, we know the event's occurring, then we have to start watching it. Then we have to try and figure it out. And that, see, just like with the Kepler Space Telescope and, and TESS, the Transiting Exoplanet Survey Satellite, yeah. currently looking for exoplanets, and just like other uh, you know telescopes here on Earth that are looking for exoplanets, they have a lot of candidates, but they won't announce them until they can prove them. And the problem is it takes time to crunch through and prove these things, you've got to do backup observations. You got to sift through data that might have been taken of the area from other telescopes to see if there's correlating information that could add to or dissuade you from thinking you're seeing what you're seeing. So it just takes time. And these aren't teams of 300 people doing this. These are typically one or two astronomers or astrophysicists, uh, maybe, a, maybe five at the most, that are working on separate aspects of the same thing. You know, the people that run the telescopes are not the people that are the astronomers, you know, uh, at these larger facilities, you know, and uh, people that are looking uh, at the Chandra data. OK, the people running the Chandra telescope are not the scientists. The people running it are the engineering team that's actually running the telescope. The astronomers are offering their science and the telescope company, the uh, the organization agrees to run their program and then they do the they, they look at it. Uh, the object they want to look at, and then the scientist gets the data, and they crunch it. But all this takes time to do. Uh, and when you have something very distant, like like this ten thousand light year black hole, sheesh, man. You know now you have now you have uh, a lot more confirmation that you have to do. And besides the fact that it's ten thousand light years away. Uh, okay, fair enough. I appreciate that. And next item I want to talk to you about. Um, this was also um, on uh, the space.com site this week was an interesting story about how the biggest moon of Saturn, and it's called Titan, 
apparently has areas of dried up lakes and seas. Now, apparently, uh, scientists already knew that Titan has some kind of liquid on its surface. But if, if it's true that this moon has an atmosphere, why is it still categorized as a moon and not a planet? I, I always thought that moons don't have atmospheres. Well, our moon doesn't have an atmosphere, you know, and uh, so, well, I say that and, and that I just lied. Okay. Believe okay. It, our, our moon does have a small residual atmosphere uh, and it's not from the astronauts disposing of extra oxygen on the, on the surface. It has to do with the way uh, radiation affects the, the lunar soils and stuff is given off over time. So the moon has a little bit of an aura of very, very thin uh, uh, atmospheric atoms and they're not nitrogen, they're not oxygen uh, they're like sodium atoms and things like that so uh, they're actually nothing that we could ever breathe um, it's very tenuous and you know uh, Titan is is a moon but it's over 3,000 miles across it's actually considered it's a planetary sized moon <laughs> yeah well, So, but the, the reason it's not called a planet is because planets orbit the sun Moons orbit other planets. Oh, that's, so that's, that's an issue. Okay. That's okay. the divider. If there was an Earth-sized planet orbiting Saturn, it would be called a moon. Interesting. I I did not realize that. Yeah, huh. it's silly. Us astronomers, we love to fool you. And we love to throw... <laughs> you love to play with my head, don't we, you? We mess with people's heads. You know, we throw an abbreviation at you, you know, and say... Oh yeah, yeah. Well, you know that, that's that's the uh, the uh, SOFIA uh, telescope. Wait, wait, to what? <laughs> I spell Sophia, pal. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, no, so that that's that is really very interesting because uh, in a related story, there's been an ongoing debate, as you know, about whether or not Pluto, the so-called dwarf planet out there at the edge of our solar system, whether or, not, whether or not it qualifies or not as a legitimate planet. Well, again, last month. Uh, Space.com showed an image of what appears to be a thin blue colored atmosphere around little Pluto. Yeah. Right. So, Discovered. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, by comparison, uh, I thought this was interesting. While it takes Earth 365 days to complete one orbit around our sun, Pluto's yeah. journey takes 248 years to do one orbit. Wow. Just a little more. Uh, a little more. But I still, I still have the same question about Pluto that I do about Titan around Saturn. But I think you just kind of answered that about why, why some planetary bodies that have atmospheres only qualify to be called moons and not planets. Well, I'm biased on this one. And the reason is because, you know, I met Clyde Tombaugh, the guy who found Pluto. Mm. And Clyde and I sat on a grassy hill in Vermont. Uh, he was going to do an astronomy talk. I was up there. Uh, to do something I can't remember, and um, this was years ago. And and Clyde and I started talking about Pluto, and um, he just beamed when he talked about the Discovery Day when he found it. Hmm. Okay, um, they used a special uh, thing called a blink comparator to to show images from you know several hours earlier or days earlier, and then new ones, and then you blink. You know, they blink them back and forth, and you can see movement of anything that doesn't belong. Stars stay locked in position, but things that aren't stars will move. Actually, it's a very simple, very doable thing. You can do it with a backyard telescope, in fact, to discover asteroids. Um, so um, when he found it, I felt that, you know. Oh, 
Okay. I thought that Pluto was uh, a planet. And, you know, Pluto has moons of its own. Uh, but it is at that borderline, you know, it, it's a borderline object called a TNO, a trans-Neptunian object. It's, it's on an inclined orbit, which is like 17 degrees in elevation off of our plane of what we call the ecliptic or the plane of all the orbits that, uh, that the, of the planets that go around the sun. So it does have differences. And it is kind of an icy body, you know. It does have a high albedo or reflectivity, okay? And so it does reflect lots of stuff. Um, but it, its main moon, Charon, okay, actually has... Um, uh, it's locked to it tidally. So uh, Pluto and Charon kind of orbit each other in a really interesting way. They're not equal in weight, okay, mass, rather. They're, they're actually different. Pluto is bigger, and Charon is actually smaller. So, but, but Charon's actually locked. It has its face locked to Pluto. All right, well, and we're, we're at a break now, but when we come back from the break, uh, I have one more important question to ask you about Pluto. Uh, so when we come back, it'll be more with Mark D'Antonio. I'm Lee Spiegel, and this is Edge of Reality Radio on kgraradio.com. We'll be right back. Hey, this check is wrong. I worked a holiday and seven hours of overtime. Not getting paid correctly is a real pain. It could also hurt our boss if our company provides out of compliance checks. That's right, construction companies doing business with the government can get fined, or officials of the companies can go to jail if the checks aren't right. It's a law. The Davis-Bacon Act has 30 compliance issues for every check, but there is an easy way for construction companies to be in compliance. EMARS offers Compliant Client, a web-based system that finds and corrects all 30 of the possible out-of-compliance check issues. Users of Compliant Client report an 80% savings in time and money. Running a weekly payroll usually takes about five minutes. All 15,000-plus clients of EMARS have never had a legal compliance issue. Plus, they sleep better on check day. Contact EMARS at emarsinc.com or call 4 With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 80-595-0466. Ew, yuck. They're unhealthy and gross. Bugs, I hate bugs. We keep a clean home, but occasionally bugs show up. Well, I found something that is tougher than bugs. Orange Guard. From contact, it kills bugs. Plus, Orange Guard kills hidden bugs and keeps new bugs away for weeks. I know. I use Orange Guard. Plus, all of the ingredients of Orange Guard are on the FDA generally regarded as safe list. Orange Guard may be used around food, humans, and pets. It promotes a healthier planet, and here's a bonus. Orange Guard cleans where it's sprayed. Plus, it comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Orange Guard. 
you can get Orange Guard at Ace Hardware. And listen, folks, Orange Guard is tougher than bugs, and it's safe to use. Go to OrangeGuard.com. That's OrangeGuard.com. Hey, is that a new music app? Yeah, check it out. Surfer Music Discovery. It links to thousands of online stations, but the twist is you see the song names and artists that are now playing live. That's different. No guessing. Looks like a waterfall of music. So many formats. Rock, oldies, country, R&B, jazz, and a whole lot more. How's that spelled? Surfer. S-U-R-F-R. Is it expensive? It's free. No need to sign up or sign in. Get the Surfer Music app free from Google Play or the App Store. Are you intrigued by Paranormal Talk Radio? You'll love the new Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live. You'll find a great selection of talk shows covering UFOs, ghosts, strange phenomena, and much more. Download the Paranormal Radio app now and start listening to the very best in Paranormal Talk entertainment, including the network you're listening to right now. The Paranormal Radio app, free in Google Play and the iOS App Store. Now you have the inside contact for alternative talk radio. The Planet. KGRARadio.com. We are back on Edge of Reality Radio. I'm Lee Spiegel, and I'm talking with astronomer Mark D'Antonio. Did I say N. D'Antonio? You, you did. I mean, I, I don't have a middle name with N, but okay. Um, well, I'm I, all right. I meant I meant to do that. Um, he's he's the author of the populated universe. Now, see, I didn't say the popular universe, like some other people might have said about your book. That's so, true. You did it very well done. Very thank you. Well, and and his website is fxmodels.com. Um, so before the break, we were talking about Pluto and, you know, is it, is it not a planet? And, and you, you made the point by saying, well, Pluto has its own moon. Okay. But you also said before that if Earth, being as big as Earth is, if Earth was orbiting Jupiter, then Earth would be considered a moon. So te technically, the fact that, hey, even though it takes what, 248 years for little Pluto to orbit the sun, doesn't that qualify it technically to be a planet? In my view, um, sort of yes, but I can understand why, why there are issues with it, and here's why. The asteroids also orbit the sun, and they're clearly not planets. Uh, all right, um, Ceres is the biggest what was called an asteroid that, that in the past, and now it's called a dwarf planet which is now what Pluto has been classified as. Um, now, Ceres being big, it's so big, in fact, that it's actually round. When we, we talk about uh, asteroids, we talk about you know, these craggy-looking things that look like you know, uh, lima beans or they look like uh, you know, kidneys. Okay? They, they have these weird shapes. Okay? And they do because over time they've collided and crashed with things and broken apart, recoalesced into things. Some are actually just gravel piles, like Bennu, uh, the one uh, that Osiris-Rex is mm -hmm. at, okay? And these meaning that their, own, their gravity just sort of loosely holds this, this collected material together in a rough asteroid shape. But if you really pound it on the surface, you could probably go right through the darn thing if you went fast enough, like a missile or something. But who knows? Uh, but Pluto is a little bit odd to me. Because you mentioned how Pluto had an atmosphere, right? Yes. Okay. 
Well, Pluto's atmosphere is basically uh, sublimated uh, nitrogen ice. Okay, what does all that mean? It means that when the nitrogen ices that are on the surface, because it's so cold there, that the surface is made of both water ice and nitrogen ice. In other words, nitrogen gas mm-hmm. as an ice, okay? If you freeze it, it'll do that. Just like carbon dioxide can be made into dry ice, which is carbon dioxide ice, okay? Frozen form of carbon dioxide. Well, the frozen form of nitrogen is what's all over the surface of Pluto. And once the sun heats up some of the daytime side of Pluto, then some of that nitrogen will basically go from being an ice right to a gas. There's no melting stage in between. It's a, it's called sublimation. It's what dry ice does. Mm-hmm. You don't see liquid dry uh, liquid CO2 before you see uh, the gas. If you you melt dry ice, you never see liquid. You see it go from ice to the steamy stuff, which is the carbon dioxide gas. Now, that said, um, Pluto has, as a result, this tenuous nitrogen uh, ax- uh, atmosphere and, and a few other little impurities. But the thing that's interesting about Pluto is its atmosphere uh, may be something that we know occurs on some other moons in our solar system. Uh, it, its atmosphere might be something called a collapsible atmosphere. Wow. That's the interesting thing. I don't know if, if you read that article at all about uh, collapsing atmospheres. No, I didn't. That sounds interesting. It is huh. interesting because huh. imagine going from the blue sky of Pluto to the blackness of space and then back to the blue sky over Pluto. And you don't really have blue sky. It's sort of a hazy blue with kind of inky black looking through it huh. Okay, at best. But – if you think about it, uh, what happens is, uh, and this this happens with Jupiter's moon Io. Okay, Io has this atmosphere uh, of uh, sulfur dioxide and so forth uh, that is there when the moon is on the daytime side of Jupiter, and uh, you know the sunlight is hitting it, and so it's warm enough on, on very very cold Io, the closest moon to Jupiter that the atmosphere can stay, but as soon as it goes into the dark side on Jupiter, as soon as it reaches that dark side, the atmosphere rains out like snow and makes a frost on the ground, and now there's no atmosphere on Io to speak of. And then after it comes around the other side, boom, this atmosphere, this stuff sublimates and goes back to being an atmosphere, so it's called a collapsing atmosphere. And that's something odd, and it's it's something that we think has, it's something that we think has happened in uh, with other moons in the solar system, uh, and like maybe uh, Europa is doing this too, uh, possibly. Uh, but Pluto has also been one that was noted to be doing that, and it depends. Uh, it's a longer cycle, and it depends on where it is relative to the sun. When it's closer, it's a little bit warmer, and when it's farther away, it's a little bit cooler. However, uh, the collapsing nature of Pluto's atmosphere, which is very tenuous indeed, okay, is still uh, considered so far to be able to withstand much of those cold rigors, okay? And it can actually still survive, unlike Io's, which rains out on the night side of Jupiter until the daytime starts again. You've just given me a whole new respect and perspective on little moons out there in our solar system. Yeah. And and earlier we were talking about Titan, the moon, the the biggest moon of Jupiter. Nope, Saturn. And, uh, of, of Saturn, yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, I, I knew that you would know that. I was just test, just testing you. You know, to me sometimes, you know, and I, I, I always fall for it. Titan and Saturn. <laughs> now I have it. Well, um, I, I happened to see a video on, on YouTube uh, from a few years ago that made me laugh. Uh, or, or maybe I shouldn't have laughed because who, who knows? It was posted by an alleged UFO expert named Scott Waring. Oh, geez. Now, I, I don't mind mentioning his name because he's out there. He's putting his stuff out there in a big way all the time. And, and he's been posting lots and lots of videos online under the guise of conspiracy theories of what NASA doesn't want us to know the truth about. Okay? Right. NASA cuts the feed. What do you mean? Yeah, yeah things like that, of course. They don't cut feeds. Okay, but go ahead. <laughs> so in this particular video, he showed what he claimed was an image of good old Titan, but with one big difference. Titan seems to have a gigantic artificial structure of some kind that, that appears to hold Titan <laughs> in place. And he goes about on the screen, you can see him, how he managed to make it easier for the viewer to look at. You see Titan with like blackness from behind it, and all of a sudden, as he lightens things up, you see this thing that seems to appear as if it's actually getting ready to swallow Titan. So during, during this, his demonstration of this, he repeatedly claims how NASA deliberately covered this information up. Uh, how do you respond to these sorts of things? You know, the, the people out there that um, have YouTube channels, they, they, they need to be vetted, okay? Because, you know, they're, they're promoting bad science. And, you know, people that hear me say that are going to say, ah, oh, he's part of the problem. He's probably a NASA shill. I've heard that so many freaking times, you know? Yeah. But the fact is, no, I'm not. I'm not any of that. If there's something that's being hidden, I will darn well want to know about it too. But what happens usually is that people don't understand the technology. They don't understand how photos are taken by spacecraft that are moving 30,000 kilometers an hour you know, by a vast planet. They don't understand the nature of how the cameras work. They don't understand the nature of what's being photographed. You know, For instance... Uh, on Ceres, there was a crater called Akadar Crater, and it had these bright spots in the middle of it that people thought were lights. Remember that with the? I do. That was on the on the asteroid series. Yeah, right. it looked it looked like they were they were glowing objects or That's, glowing lights. That's right. right. But what people didn't understand, which I started saying immediately, was, no, those aren't glowing lights. That's overexposed lighter areas because Ceres is so dark. You have to expose Ceres for a long time in the camera for it to actually show up on these spacecraft cameras because the surface of Ceres is very, very dark gray. It's not white. It's not light gray. It's very, very dark gray. And compared to a white salt deposit, which is what this was in Akadar, mm. and I have high-resolution images of this very thing uh, on Akadar, um, you know, these salt deposits blaze. They show up overexposed. They look like light bulbs, all right? And if you don't know about the nature of Ceres, if you don't know about the need to overexpose and take longer exposures, then you will make assumptions that are incorrect. You know, it's what I spent many years and still do. I spend years trying to figure out uh, these videos for, you know, NASA's Unexplained Files, What on Earth, and other shows. They They... You know, it's a voice of reason. I'm not saying that aliens aren't here. Right. 
I actually firmly believe they are. Yeah. I just think that we are able to detect them yet here, but we're working on it, right? A lot of us are working on it. So, so this is, this is the reason why if people come up to you or if they send you notes or messages and they say to you, hey, Mark, well, please, I, I want to believe that those are alien buildings with their spotlights on, on the asteroid series. Please don't make me believe something else because this, this makes sense to me. Yes. <laughs> you know, as Stanton Friedman used to say, you know, yeah. don't bother me with the facts. I've already made up my mind. I know. <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, I mean, really, it's, it's, it's always amazing to me, you know, people don't want to believe what they don't want to believe because they'd rather believe the stuff that just makes them feel better or I don't know, is more spooky or more interesting. I'm not sure, but well, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of that going around. There is spooky is cool. Spooky is great. And, and so is, you know, the, the alien lore that's out there. And I think that when people realize the true nature of, alien visitation to earth they're probably going to go oh that's all it is oh man you know they're going to yeah. think well, they have like regular looking ships where's the oh they don't move like hollywood makes them move this is boring i think that people won't even you know think anything of it they'll probably think oh man yeah it's kind of cool but you know what i thought they'd be much bigger i thought they'd be grayer i thought they'd be greener i thought they'd have you know big teeth i thought they would do this i thought they want to serve us for lunch you know whatever um, in, in fact, uh, mostly they're probably uh, science-minded uh, creatures that are just doing what we do when we come across uh, a tribe in the Amazon. We keep our distance yes. and we observe. You know, and, don't and, interfere. And all those people who would say, oh, you mean they don't really look like this or they're not really here for this or that? And those are the same people who would probably say, you know what? You could have told us this 70 years ago. You know, you're right. And it's like, and I think the U.S. government probably would have because it just would have been a, a characteristic of our universe. It wouldn't have been a fact to hide. It just would have been a characteristic, you know, okay, and a known fact. Okay, yes, we have these many moons in the solar system. We have these many planets. And we know that there's some uh, alien beings that live on this planet over here and that planet over there. It wouldn't change anything. It wouldn't change religion either. The Pope already said that it was fine. It fits right in That's with right. religious teachings if if they discovered alien life, you know. So even that wouldn't get a, a an upset. So honestly, I just think that people, uh, they thrive on the drama. And if there's no drama, if the real aliens are drama-free, oh, man, are we going to be bored, you know? And, and you know who else thrives on the drama? Are, are the people who post things to YouTube making mm. outrageous claims. Now, like? He, uh, like, and this one was much more recent than, than the one we just talked about, um, about uh, Titan being an artificial structure or smaller than we thought. On Just on June 10th, uh, not long ago, a story came out in the International Business Times and it showed a video with a triangular formation of lights moving over New Jersey. Uh, it's an interesting video. I, I give it that it, because it shows something is out there moving across the sky. You can see it above buildings, above people, and it goes behind trees. Fine. But the expert quoted in the piece was none other than Scott Waring. And, okay. and an expert, you know, in that same sentence, Expert at what? I mean, we have to specify what's he an expert at. He's is an expert, I believe, 
I don't think he can sue you or me for this, but he's an expert at presenting these things and, and putting a, a different spin on it than what is probably the correct spin. But, but on his spin on this one, he suggested that these lights were aliens observing human activity on the ground. And according to the story, he, uh, he had a blog post in which he said, and I quote, either way, this is some remarkable footage. End quote. So, okay, yes, it, it was very interesting footage, but why must it automatically be aliens watching us from above? What do you think? You know, when I, when I, I can tell you what I think. Okay, first of all, uh, reaching for that final conclusion without going all the way down the path of proper analysis and proper yeah. study and proper investigation, which he didn't do any of those things, and I don't care if he wants to sue me. Okay, let him. Okay, he's he's actually... Um, incapable of of doing proper analysis, um, and so uh, if he was to do a proper analysis and not just spout off, he would have gone down all the ver uh, the various items it could have been, and then at the end, if there was nothing left that it could have been, then he could say, well. We dutifully went through all these 230 other items this could have been, uh, everything from seagulls illuminated at night by lights from below, yeah. uh, which I've actually seen and had a case, uh, which looked very eerie, frankly, uh, to um, you know, uh, satellites moving in the sky in a time exposure uh, situation where no one realized there was a camera that was very sensitive recording these satellites moving through the sky together. Uh, if that was the case, then uh, you'd find that out. But leaping all the way to the most improbable explanation is how you get clicks on your videos. And it should mm. be, I mean, I can't say it should be against the law because it is free speech after all and free expression. And he has the right to do it. And I will defend to the death his right mm -hmm. to do these videos. What I won't defend are his conclusions. Okay, and his conclusions are silly and embarrassing. Actually, if he knew anything, he would be embarrassed by his conclusions. He should actually do some diligence, learn a few things, and then he might actually be able to uh, do some proper analysis. But you know what? Proper analysis doesn't get clicks. Proper analysis doesn't get anyone to join a Patreon, you know, and give him money each month, you know. Yeah. So I, I think that when it comes down to it, okay. I don't have any of those things because I am not going to be subject to someone, you know, or be dependent on someone subscribing to me to pay me a monthly fee to discuss UFOs because then I have a vested interest in never letting an ordinary object become an ordinary object. And it always wow. has to be fancy to keep that subscriber happy. I won't do that. There was another video that I believe I, I also shared with you that I, I thought was also really interesting. This one came from Columbia <clears throat> and it was published at the end of May by a site called Inexplicata or the, the Journal of Hispanic Ufology. The video was shot by a Facebook user and it shows an oval shaped object in broad daylight floating against the deep blue sky. Uh, as it moves, it, it appears to spin on its axis. The woman who took the video and posted it on Facebook said that the object hovered vertically and also horizontally. 
And I, I, there was nothing, I don't think there was any mention that, oh, that must have been alien or from Alpha Centauri. No, there was nothing. It was like, this was in the sky, I videotaped it, and now I'm posting it. So I'm assuming, Mark, there are probably numerous possibilities about this, but at least it doesn't look like it was a hoax. No, that particular video, it, there is an object there. But um, again, if you could, if you do your diligence, you might uh, look in very closely at it and discover that maybe it's actually a bunch of balloons. And that's why it looks like it's shape changing, as they say, because it's mm. rotating through the air and presenting a different aspect ratio to you. You know, to jump to the to jump to the fact that it was a UFO is to just jump to the ludicrous before you actually do the right diligence. Uh, and that makes it ludicrous, okay? That does a disservice to everyone who wants to believe that these are here. I do believe they're here. But I think that the videos that they present are these generated drama queen videos, okay, that end up doing nothing but confusing people, and they don't give them the right interesting you know, data. And so, frankly, I mean, that video lasted all of three minutes, okay? Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, you know, people... People talk about it and say, oh, it was an interesting uh, video. It was a UFO. Um, you know, he based, you know, the guy who analyzed it, we've been talking about him. Um, why would he analyze a video? You know what he's going to say. Mm. So why yeah. don't you get someone who could go either way? No, no, we want it to be a UFO. Oh, well, then give it to this guy. He'll always say it's a UFO. I mean, something will always be a UFO. But for a short period of time until it becomes an IFO. Well, in general, but you know what? There are UFOs, and we just have to learn how to sort through the crap. Mm -hmm. You know, we just have to learn how to sort through the, the garbage videos before we can get to the good ones and get to the real ones, you know? Um, and you know what they say? It's Geigo, you know, garbage in, garbage out. You know, you bring mm -hmm. in a garbage video, you're going to get a garbage analysis out. Okay, potentially. So you have to be really careful about how you do this analysis. And I'm not saying that I'm the best and I'm patting myself on the back like Mr. Expert. I'm not doing that at all. Okay. I'm just saying that in the cases where it's obvious that someone is not doing their diligence, all right, I call those people out and I'm calling him out right now. You know, I think that that's ridiculous. I think that uh, his efforts are juvenile and he is not doing a service to uh, doing anything but a disservice to the people that would actually like to believe that that alien beings are here you know to say that was a ufo is it borders on embarrassing he should be embarrassed for saying that because you know he should have done the diligence to figure out what else it might have been and then present that data i agree and in, in the last couple of minutes that we actually have here let me ask you this if if earth is being visited by beings from somewhere other than Earth, why do you think they don't just show themselves to the world and be done with it? You know what? There's a, a very simple answer to that. Why don't naturalists show themselves to the elk that they're studying? Why do, uh, why do naturalists hide in animal blinds uh, instead of are trying to acclimatize the animal to them. Um, they, I think that alien life here knows that we can 
be dangerous. You don't you don't acclimatize a grizzly bear to you because you know that they could just snap and be at a moment's notice they could be dangerous to you. Right. I think that alien beings are frail and and not going to be, you know, the uh, warlike you know armor plated creatures that you see in movies here or there. Um, and I think that they're going to be more or less uh, frail uh, in in general. Uh, and not necessarily, you know, as frail as us, but frail enough that if we could, if we could get a hold of them, we could wring their necks if we wanted to. Um, and so, if that's going to happen, you can bet your life that they're going to be very uh, distant from us, and they're going to be very careful about any approaches. And if they were to do that, they would make sure they did it on their terms, where they could control you neurologically, as has happened, mm-hmm. as I think happened to me. You know, astronomer guy, Mr. Mr. Science here, uh, I can't explain what happened to me, you know. So, I I mean, it was, I had a strange occurrence, too. So, you know, I know that they're going to do the one-on-one. They're going to try and get you uh, when they can actually control you, just like we tranquilize elk to tag them. <laughs> I, I, I appreciate that. And also, we'll have to have you come back on the show to, to get into more details about your experience. Uh, absolutely. Um, and that does bring us to the end of tonight's program. Uh, I want to thank both Nick Pope and Mark D'Antonio for being here. Um, just to recap, Nick's website is nickpope.net. And for more information about Mark, his website is fxmodels.com. Again, that's fx, the letters fx models.com and definitely check out his book the populated universe and his program sky tour radio sunday nights on kgra radio thank you mark i appreciate you being here as usual thank you lee it was a great time thank you and i'm transmitting a loving wish to my wife and muse lorraine Oh, I should be playing violin music now and so forth. Well, you, you should have had it all queued up and ready to go. You knew I was going to do that. <laughs> and thank you, Mr. Mr., Mr., Mr. Mr. Bill Skywatcher, expertly taking care of all those technical items that get us and keep us on the air. Up next on KGRA, it's Fader Night on Fade to Black with Jimmy Church. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. I'm Lee Spiegel. This has been Edge of Reality Radio on KGRARadio.com. I send you all warm thoughts and wishes from my undisclosed and pandemic-quarantined location. Until next time, stay safe, healthy, and positive. And let's remember to keep our minds open out there. You've been listening to Edge of Reality Radio with Lee Spiegel. Any rebroadcast or duplication of this program or program content without express written permission from the KGRADB or Lee Spiegel himself is strictly prohibited. The Edge of Reality Radio Show in direct cooperation with the internet website KGRARadio.com. To find more on Lee, visit his website at LeeSpiegel.com. Or find him on Facebook and Twitter. Edge of Reality Radio is broadcast every Thursday night at 8 p.m. Eastern exclusively on KGRARadio.com. <laughs>